The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. It's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. If you asked any child at my school during the 80s, myself included, if we'd seen A Nightmare on Elm Street, the immediate answer would have been yes. What percentage had actually seen the film would no doubt be in the region of about 0.1%, but the fact of the matter, you were cool if you had seen the film. So there was a good reason to lie and say that you had. I, of course, said I did, but in truth, I had no idea what the film was about, only a dude with long fingers carving kids up. It would have scared the shit out of me for sure. Roll on a few years and I kind of missed the whole slasher horror film. I did like certain horror films, The Thing and whatnot, but it seemed to me that people who were overly into the slasher film, the pinheads and, and co, were normally the lot who loved heavy metal and needed a shower. Scream came and went and I recall not being asked about it and I think at this time I was a bit of a film snob or just a twat I don't know but either way the 80s horror film was not something I was really that interested in and in truth I sort of wish I had been because viewing something like A Nightmare on Elm Street as a man of 42 for the first time kind of made me feel like I'd missed out I think if I'd seen it when I was a lot younger I would have taken it a lot more seriously than I actually did, which isn't to say I did not enjoy A Nightmare on Elm Street, because actually, on the whole, it's actually pretty great most of the time. Now, one of the things about being unable to maintain long-term relationships is that when I do eventually find another girlfriend, there is a slightly embarrassing phase where I have to explain I suffer from something called night terrors. And for those of you who don't know what they are, they're essentially recurring nightmares that you're supposed to grow out of as a child. And for some of us, they simply come with us for the rest of our life. And most of the time, mine consists of um, a feeling that I'm being hunted or chased or equally something as awful. And what's worse is that more often than not, these dreams are actually lucid, i.e. you're aware that you're dreaming. So for added fun, you know you're dreaming but can't wake up. Often, in order to get out of the dream, I make hideous noises that consist of a kind of weird gargle or a kind of long, whimpery whine, which have a tendency to scare the shit out of whoever's unfortunate enough to be lying next to me. And normally, my partners go from feeling a degree of sympathy to simply telling me to shut the fuck up when one of these incidents has occurred. But either way, these dreams can be quite hideous. I've had one whereby I was dreaming I was dreaming, only to have a dream I was having a nightmare in the dream, to then wake up in the dream thinking I was actually awake, only to find I was still in the dream, and that something scary was trying to attack me. And yes, it was fucking bizarre to say the least, which is why, for me, A Nightmare on Elm Street really struck a chord. I love it when a film feels quite personal, even though when we're talking about something fairly awful, and I think Craven tapped into something quite special with A Nightmare on Elm Street. We are fascinated by dreams, what they mean, where they come from. And what I feel this film does so well is take dreams and nightmares 
and poses a rather brilliant what if. What if these things really do come true and our worst nightmares are realised? Like most 80s slasher flicks, the film focuses around a group of teenagers who begin to share the same dream in which a man with knives for fingers chases them and slashes them to pieces. First Tina, played by Amanda Wiss, then best mate Nancy, played by Heather Lungenkamp, then Tina's boyfriend Rod, then Nancy's boyfriend Glenn, all begin to come under attack from what we come to be know as Freddy Krueger, played of course by Rob England. It's Nancy who begins to realise that the striper jumper killer may be in fact have a weakness, or at least that's what she hopes, and begins her mission to coax him from the dream world into the real. All day long I've been seeing that guy's weird face. And hearing those fingernails. Fingernails? That's amazing you saying that. That made me remember the dream I had last night. What'd you dream? I dreamed about a guy in a dirty red and green sweater. Well, what about the fingernails? Oh, he scraped his fingernails along things. Actually, they were more like finger knives or something, something he'd made himself. But they made a horrible sound. It's like, Nancy, you dreamed about the same creep I did. A Nightmare on Elm Street exists largely due to the VHS market of the 1980s. People could not get enough of horror on video, and by the time the film was made in 1984, the genre had gone a little stale. On paper, it does seem to, to be not that much of a diversion. Horny teenagers trying to get laid, a scary dude trying to cut into ribbons. However, what I think raises this film and makes it so successful is because it is so well made. Flipping between drama and reality, you're never quite sure where or when or what is going on and that's not just the kids it's you watching a cut is a narrative device so simple so easy so common we sometimes don't even register them and even less so when it is used to such a subtle effect take for example when nancy is at school framed just to the left of the screen she rubs her eyes as if tired looking down at the school books we cut to the teacher walking toward the front of the class, and then again as a boy gets up to read. We cut back to a last shot of Nancy. The camera begins a slow track in. She's falling asleep and her head resting against her arm. We cut to a mid-shot, cut to a kid reading, and cut back to her with her eyes closed. In the same setting, the same time of day, but crucially from one cut to the next, we are in a different reality, whereupon Nancy follows Tina in a body bag and is subsequently attacked. The scene is played deadly serious, blood on the floor, Freddy temporarily inhibiting a school prefect for a descent into the bowels of the school. A sign on the wall says no students allowed, which really should make Nancy run in the opposite direction. We're then dumped back into the classroom, Nancy awaking from her sleep, only to see a mark on her arm. Is she back in reality or is this still a nightmare? The film takes on an ambiguity so that Every time we cut from there on, do we really trust the cut or not? Is it, has it become a kind of false narrator, tricking us in the most subtle of ways? Indeed, Wes Craven's direction throughout the film is, in fact, superb. 
I think it's worth mentioning that from my experience, I found that horror films amongst the most visually inventive I've ever seen. Modern horror films are for the most identical versions of each other. Somebody enters a room, sees that it's clear, and just turn around and lo and behold, bang, something's there. The jump scare, overused, predictable, and CGI has not helped either. Effects simply cannot replace the practical. The recent UHD release of The Thing was a joy just to see practical, brilliant effect. The actors can interact with them. They have something to look at as opposed to a marker where the effect will go in later. And I wonder if it's why films like A Nightmare on Elm Street will endure more. It's why we go back to them over and over because at some place inside us, we know we are watching something that is real in the loosest term, but at least real on screen. I don't think CGI and horror are a good combination and perhaps maybe on some level, the artificiality of a CGI effect doesn't trigger the same feelings inside us that practical ones do. One of my favorite moments in the film is when Nancy is asleep and we see Freddy's hands appear in the wall above her, trying to reach down to her. The wall bends and clearly it's a sheet or some form of plastic or whatever, but it's creepy, practical and effective. And with a simple cut, we're back to a proper wall. But you believe it, it creeps you out. You can imagine it because you are seeing it for real. And I dare say it was incredibly cheap to do. And as the film's budget would have made it have to be. And then there's a the use of shadow. At times, Freddy appears an enormous, grotesque visage projected over a gate. That huge hat giving him an even more terrifying presence. And when we do see him, his arms are unnaturally long as he moves towards the camera, completely bathed in darkness. Indeed, the whole film is gorgeously lit by Jack Hatkin, who was a stalwart of the horror genre. And despite having a relatively small budget, the film does indeed look far more expensive than it actually is. And when the kills do come, they are brilliantly inventive. The standout has to be Johnny Depp's bloody comeuppance that sees him sucked into his own bed and a shower of blood spraying everywhere. It's daft, it's silly and it's grotesque but Craven's insistence on making the everyday a place of unknown terror and violating the sanctity of where we feel the most safe, our homes and our bedrooms, is massively effective and it's also what the low budget horror film has to do. It can't go big in scale and it has to do simplicity and it's why Nightmare on Elm Street is so good at what it does. And yes, the film has to explain all of this and it's a complete load of nonsense. My eyes began a journey to the back of my head when Nancy buys a book of homemade traps. But in reality, what on earth are these films supposed to do? There has to be for some reason for it all. And perhaps in this case, because the ending actually has the balls to imply the whole thing has all been for nothing in the first place, you can actually almost forgive it. I did actually laugh out loud at how bad people run in this film. I never saw the scary movie franchise, but one can easily see where you'd look for inspiration. I've made, never seen people make so much body movements yet seem to fail to grasp the simple fact that moving their feet quickly is the best way of evading death. But it is with a heavy heart that I have to say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to anyway. When people are literally discussing on Twitter whether or not it's offensive to use the term actress, it does actually make me fear for a film like Nightmare on Elm Street. There is, I believe, a danger that we're going to slip towards a culture that reappraises cinema through the lens of contemporary standards. And by standards, I use that term loosely. And I also do think that this slip has began in earnest. As these standards seem to shift with and change depending on who wants to be offended and who wants to be offended on behalf of those who think they are going to be offended, it seems more than ever we're obsessed with moral panics and heading towards a far more censorious culture than the one that clutched their pearls over the whole video nasty controversy in the first place. 
The horror film more often not features women being the victims of male violence. The Shining, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and of course this film all depict women as being either the victim or at least the object of male violence. They're tortured, mutilated, terrorised and killed often with more, than a, with more than a hint of rape on the cards as well. In A Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy is in the bath and we see Freddy's claws appear and move toward her groin and there's a constant threat of molestation whilst any female sleep in the film sleeps. Of course, this is shot from the point of view of its male director. The camera invades personal space. It gives glimpses of breasts. And for better, want of a better word, it leers at its female subjects. If someone were to ask, is this film misogynistic? Then the answer would probably be yes. Indeed, violence towards women is a recurring theme through Craven's work. And there are two schools of thought one can take. One that is just harmless entertainment, if this is your thing and it's simply disposable thrill ride that entertains you for an hour and a half, or that the film is actually a product of a culture that is governed by a toxic form of masculinity and patriarchy that for its cultural references reinforces negative attitudes towards women and the natural outcome of which is violence and oppression. Although I suggest that the former is more likely, the latter could I believe become the most persuasive argument. It would be extremely easy to make a showreel depicting violence towards women in Craven's films, including this, and in the court of Twitter, it might be time to have him retrospectively cancelled. The ensuing debate would no doubt be filled with, with the normal nonsense such questions raise. From my own experience of A Nightmare on Elm Street, I really enjoyed the film. It made me jump. Its daftness made me laugh. I don't have the urge to go and murder a woman. I pretty much paid no attention to it after the credits rolled. In fact, I was more impressed by the filmmaking, the sound mix, which for me was a joy to behold. And in truth, I really couldn't give a toss about how most horror films depict violence towards women, as long as I'm enjoying the film, which, which I don't know whether makes me a terrible person or not. But cinema is going to change. We live in, living in a world where diversity is beginning to have a massive impact on culture. In recent years, for example, the likes of Jordan Peele have shown us horror from the perspective of the black experience. I did kind of enjoy Get Out. It was nowhere near the prestige thing I think people thought it was. Indeed, it seemed like Nightmare on Elm Street. It was pure exploitation. And on that level, I had a great time with it. I've not seen us, I will do. But what is happening and will continue to happen is that other voices, aside from that of just white males, are going to be seen and heard. And Nightmare on Elm Street was made in the area of cinema's history in which, yes, white men were making the majority of Hollywood films. And given the relative age of the medium, i.e. not that long, the future will see a raft of filmmakers bringing their stamp to this genre. And in seeing these may be deemed offensive or problematic in the years after they have been made. The fact is, A Nightmare on Elm Street is what it is. I don't for a minute think it is part of any perceivable problem, and one need only look at the diversity of the film's fans to know that it's a piece of cinema that has managed to attract both male and female audiences over the years. One of my best friends, who happens to be female, loves the Nightmare on Elm Street films. In fact, she loves any type of horror and couldn't give a toss about any kind of problem with feminism they might have. If influence can clearly be seen today too, the awful Stranger Things is clearly delving into this and others of its ilks for inspiration and its cultural legacy is not only important but worthy of preserving. The 1980s horror film was a defining part of many people's childhood and adolescence and films like A Nightmare on Elm Street are important works of, in terms of cinema history. On a small, on, made on such a small budget, it's creative, its effects still work and it shows you what you can do within the confines of a budget. And let's be honest, being scared is incredibly good fun. And it's a film that also 
helped build, well, certainly helped New Line Cinema become one of the powerhouses it was to become. It left a legacy of a studio that was giving us some of the best films of my life, including, yes, Lord of the Rings. I didn't love the film, for sure, but at 90 minutes, I thought it was a perfectly good piece of escapist entertainment. I'm going to work my way for these sequels for sure. And although, although I feel like I missed out seeing the film as a kid, the adult in me can at least enjoy them in the first time round, not on some shitty VH copy, but on a rather brilliant sounding and looking Blu-ray. I'm certainly going to check out the sequels for sure. I picked up um, the box set on Amazon for, I think it was like 14 quid. And I'm kind of happy that my first experience of the film wasn't going to be some dodgy, crappy VHS coffee, but a brilliant sounding and looking Blu-ray. So that's going to be it for this episode of the 24 Frames cast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, there will be more to come soon. Um, you can find me at 24framescast.blogspot.com. You can follow me on Twitter at 24framescast. If you want to email me, it's 24framescast at gmail.com. Many thanks for listening, and I'll be in contact soon. Bye.